0: The NBA season is heating up, and Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon have got you covered on the Mismatch. They discuss all the news, the trends, and transactions happening around the league. They also offer their on-court analysis and occasionally get into heated debates. Check out the Mismatch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new. An improved parlay hub filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and
2: marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor, for each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's, huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York,
1: New York, Jose Altuve unfortunately gets a little revenge. It bothered me. But all in all, a good week for the Yankees. We'll set the stage for the weekend. The Mets win one of the most ugly games you're ever going to see. But a winning road trip is a winning road trip. We got you covered with so much basketball. The voice of the New York Knicks. The voice of the NBA. The great Mike Breen is going to join us. My buddy, longtime television anchor. The great Eamon McInerney from SNY. Going to have some fun talking some New York sports with him. ton of voicemails. Setting the stage for the weekend. Mother's Day weekend. Hard to believe. New York, New York coming up next all righty let's roll baby welcome in to episode 15 of new york new york with yours truly jj johnson stremsky we are right here on the ringer podcast network and not nearly as giddy as I was, let's say, 48 hours ago. But if you would have told me on Monday night or you would have told me Tuesday in the early afternoon hours that the Yankees would go and take two out of three from the Houston Astros, I gladly would have signed on the dotted line. So I don't want to sound like a guy, you know, down in the dumps, bellyaching, yelling and screaming that the Yankees lost here on Thursday afternoon. Because... I think there are a lot of positives now to look at from a Yankees standpoint. The first being John Carlos Stanton is finally playing like, in a regular season at least, that John Carlos Stanton we saw win an MVP for the Miami Marlins. You can't pitch to the guy. Can't pitch to him. He's homered three straight games. He's taken his batting average under 200. Now it's well over 300. And I give Aaron Boone credit for this. He took Stanton from the middle of the order and moved him up into that number two hole right behind D.J. LeMayu. And it has led to great success for Stanton, great success for the Yankees. And a month plus into the year, Giancarlo Stanton is locked in. He is dialed in. And it's fun to watch. It's super, super fun to watch. So from a positive standpoint, Stanton... Fits the bell. Yankees starting pitching, which I know was a major concern out of everybody at the start of the year. How are you going to win games outside of Garrett Cole? I thought Montgomery pitched with some chutzpah last night. Six innings to three runs. I liked what I saw out of Domingo Herman. Kluber is throwing the ball a lot better. Tyone, who's going to be going on Friday against the Nationals. The rotation, in many ways, is rounded in the form. And remember, that's without Luis Severino, who's probably a couple of months down the pike. Defense for the Yankees. Even though I know Urshela and Ford, and we'll get to Urshela in a minute, had that, you know, flare up with Chad Green on the mound. Not great. Definitely not great. But the defense as a whole, specifically Gleyber Torres' defense, and I loved his heads up base running today. They're playing a better brand of baseball. I think it's obvious if you're watching. Top of the order, you're getting it from Stanton. You're getting it from GL. Glaber has come around. You're still waiting for DJ to get hot. Judge struck out like five or six times in a row. He's going to get hot. Need more out of those guys than the bottom of the order. And it was nice to see Hicks actually come through last night with a big hit. That's all positive Yankee stuff to get out of the way. Now, we got to address the negative. That is Thursday afternoon. Because... You were thinking about the Yankees getting fat today. I know I was. I know a lot of Yankee fans wanted to stomp all over the Houston Astros. It would have been that much more enjoyable a podcast to do if indeed the Yankees had swept this series. And I was out for blood this morning. Garrett Cole on the mound. Stanton locked in. And the Yankees jumped out to an early lead. Garrett Cole gave you seven innings of two-run baseball. This is not a major critique in a manager because, listen, you have a one-run lead. You go to your high-leverage guys in the eighth and the ninth inning. You expect to win the game. That said, Cole under 100 pitches could have started the eighth inning. It's not the reason they lost. It's not fair to pin it on Aaron Boone. But, yes, Garrett Cole should have started the top half of the eighth inning. Chad Green, who's one of the better relievers in baseball, Didn't have it today. And with the game on the line, and the Astro, who in many ways has become public enemy number one in Jose Altuve. Green threw him a high fastball. It was out of his strike zone. But you got to know this about Altuve. And credit David Cohn. He was all over it in the broadcast. You can't throw him a fastball that's anywhere near the strike zone because he's going to cooperate. He turned around a 95-mile-an-hour fastball that was above the letters and hit it out for a three-run homer. That, combined with Justin Wilson yucking it up with a two-run bomb to Maldonado in the ninth inning, what should have been a sweep of the Astros, a great Garrett Cole start, more Stanton dominance, ends up being one that in many ways got away. And I've noticed this now. And it's fair bringing up because we do it all the time with Jacob DeGrom and Mets starts. The Yankees this year are only four and three in Garrett Cole starts. That's not good enough. It has nothing to do with Garrett Cole. You gotta dominate the games in which the second best pitcher in baseball is out there twirling and doing his thing. And it's not like Cole... In the games the Yankees have lost, is pitched poorly. It was probably a so so opening day start, pitch count. Good start against the Rays, didn't score, and this game today. I need a better record in Garrett Cole starts. Now, the Yankees are going to be holding their breath on G.R. Rochelle with a knee MRI over the next couple hours. Rochella is one of the more underappreciated and undervalued New York Yankees. The guy is a gamer. He gets big hits, he puts the bat on the ball, and he's arguably the best defensive player. They need Gio in the lineup more ways than one. So if he's going to miss an extended period of time, that's scary stuff. Aaron Boone said it's probably not going to be serious. We'll have to wait and see on the MRI. Fingers crossed, though, if you're a Yankee fan when it comes to Giro Shilla. The other note with the Yankees, down Scranton. Luke Void is ready to return. Thank God, because I've seen enough of Boogie Nights and Dirk Diggler and Mike Ford for a while. Good team guy, jersey guy, want to root for him. His at bats stink. Period, end of story. They stink. So I've seen enough of Mike Ford. I need my guy Luke back in the lineup. Miguel Andujar, though, is raking. He don't have a position. We know he's a butcher at third base. They tried him in first and in the outfield last year, and it was not a pretty sight. But I do wonder. Quinn Frazier, I know he homered today, hasn't hit. Shella, let's say he's going to miss some time. Would the Yankees call up Andujar and say, all right, big boy, we're going to try to get you a bat in the lineup and we'll live with some of the defensive shortcomings. I think it's something to watch over these next few weeks from a Yankees standpoint. The Yankees are going to have to avoid now the letdown against the Nationals. Corbin Friday night, Mad Max on Saturday. It's still walk in the park. And you know the Yankees, they were into this series. The fans were into this series. It was a lot of fun. Listen, the last three days at Yankee Stadium was a playoff atmosphere. It was great. And I'm hoping and praying we're going to get 50,000 Yankee fans screaming at the Astros in October. And trust me, I'll be one of them. And we'll be doing every single one of these podcasts where I have no voice. I'm cool with that. It'll be worth it. Maybe I'll uh, develop a green tea addiction by then. I used to have it back in the overnight days. I've kind of gotten off my green tea fix. Now I'm just a good old-fashioned Starbucks iced coffee guy, and then I kind of let it rip from there. One coffee, that's all I need. And then the zaniness and the craziness just comes out of me. Al natural, if you will. Now, for the Mets, all things considered, winning road trip, and it kind of feels dirty in many ways. It feels dirty because this game against the Cardinals was a disaster. I mean, you could hear it in Gary Cohen and Keith Hernandez's and voice if you listen to the game on SNY. It was just dreadful baseball. I mean, the Cardinals walked in like three runs with the bases loaded. Hideous. Era is just sloppy. Did not resemble a major league type of effort from St. Louis, who is a playoff caliber team. You don't apologize for that, though, if you're the Mets. The story to me with the Mets, Taiwan Walker, Looks like a hell of a free agent signing. And he was kind of a spare part in many ways when the Mets brought him in in early to mid-February when they missed out on Trevor Bauer. Walker's been a stud. He comes back after the rain delay and he's throwing great. He's pitching to a two-something ERA a month into the year and has really picked up the slack for this team without Carlos Carrasco and without Noah Syndergaard. Taiwan Walker, who kind of came into his own last year at the end of the season with the Toronto Blue Jays, has kind of followed up on that. That's a great sign for the Mets, who have gotten really, really good starting pitching from those big three, if you will. DeGrom, enough said. Stroman, been very good. Walker has been excellent. Met lineup, should have scored 15 runs today. I can't be pounding my chest if I'm a Mets fan about the performance of my lineup. But I think, you know, we might have to stop the podcast right now. The sky is finally not falling anymore for Francisco Lindor. I hope he got the baseball after he snapped that over streak. And when doors at-bats have been painful to watch this first month of the year. Sooner or later, you figure Francisco Lindor is going to get going. He's too good a player. To look as bad as he has looked. It's too good. I'm going to keep pounding that until the cows come home. Sooner or later, Francisco Indor has to hit for this team. He has to hit. I'll give you another positive note for the Mets. And I killed him on Sunday. And let me make this perfectly clear. I don't trust Edwin Diaz. I don't trust him in a big spot. I don't trust him in a big situation. You're always going to have that uneasy feeling when he comes into a game. No matter how dominant... He may look. It's hard to look past the blobs starting in 2019 and really over the last couple of years. Cause you know, that can happen at any moment at any time. Point blank. Diaz after Sunday's let's call it like it is. Shit shell, Was pretty resilient today. And I say that because he put a couple of runners on base and you see Goldschmidt and Arenado coming up for the Cardinals. By far and away, they're two best hitters. Got them both. That's big boy, ninth inning, closer type stuff from Edwin Diaz. You are the New York Mets. You go to Philadelphia and St. Louis. You have this hitting coach fiasco. You had a terrible loss on Friday. You put together a winning road trip with the lowly Arizona Diamondbacks over the weekend. Take it. Run. And move forward. Sometimes it doesn't have to be pretty, folks. Take it from there. We got a loaded shell. For the first time, because the embargo is over, Mike Breen is going to join us. My main man from SNY, who can grow a mean goatee and a beard and likes to give me a whole lot of shit. The great Amon McEnany will make his New York, New York debut. And we got a ton of listening voicemail. So we might as well get one right out of the way with a bang. Who's up?
3: Hey, JJ. Dave from, uh, Metusha, New Jersey. i big Astro fan here in the New York area. And, um, yeah, Yankees are very good at beating the, uh, Astros in May. That's pretty good for you guys. Um, October wins, I think, tend to carry a little bit more weight. And, um, you're not beating the Astros in October. So just enjoy your May wins. That's really nice. But, um, sorry, not going to have it for you guys again this year. Take care. Good luck, though. Good, good job for those May wins.
1: Here's the problem. I can't really talk a lot of shit right now. I can't because everything he just said is accurate. The Yankees lost to the Astros in 17, even though, by the way, the Astros cheated. The Yankees lost to the Astros in 2019, even though the Astros cheated. But they won. I have to own that. Until the Yankees beat this team in the playoffs, our good pal will forever be able to hold that over my head and hold it over your head. But just like he can do that, Jose Altuve and Bregman and all those guys can hear cheater chants and all sorts of shit being thrown their way for the rest of their careers. Because point blank, they're a bunch of cheaters. The Astros do not scare me as much as they once did. And here's why. No Cole and no Verlander for the time being. Zach Granke ain't keeping me up at night. McCullers, solid pitcher, not keeping me up at night. Bullpen for the Astros is okay. The Yankees are a better team. The Yankees should beat the Astros if they match up in the postseason. They should. I hope it happens. Because you know what? That series would be worth the price of admission and then some. I hope it happens. Loaded show. Getting your weekend started off the right way. With the voice of the NBA, the voice of the Knicks, Mike Breen, is coming up next. Let's welcome in one of the voices of the NBA, the voice of my childhood for like the last <laughs> 20 plus years with the New York Knicks, making his New York, New York debut, the Hall of Famer, Mike Breen. What's up, Mike? All right. So
4: you, you say the voice of
1: my childhood. Why don't
4: you just say, here's the old guy?
1: No, 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 no. Because there are a <laughs> lot of guys who would fit that description, Mike. A lot of guys who would fit that description. So just... I can't just lump all you old guys together, you know?
4: No, I'm just kidding.
1: I take that as a compliment. Thank you, John. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, and you've been a troop for the last eight, nine, ten years with the Knickerbockers, because you and Clyde find a way, even when the team is terrible, to make the broadcast entertaining. You guys will have some fun from time to time. So for you personally, how much fun and how rewarding has it been doing these games with a team? Like, it's just a ton of fun to watch.
4: It, it's, it's incredible, John. Um, you know, I like i grew up a nick fan since i was a a little kid so you know i want to see them do well and then when you're part of the broadcast you know it's clearly so much more fun when they do well uh and thankfully i've had clyde with me we have a great production team that makes it makes it still fun to do the games even when it's been through the struggling years but this year it's like a dream come true and it's not just because they're they're winning um, it's because of, of the way they're winning and the way the roster is made up. It's it's an easy group to root for. And, and I think you, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to throw this back at you. On all your favorite teams, whatever sport it is, um, I've always felt that the the most fun years are the unexpected ones. Not the innocent
1: this- climb. Totally agree. Mike, I'll give you a counter. 2017 with the Yankees. Didn't think they were going to be particularly good. Judge kind of comes out of nowhere. They make it to game seven of the ALCS. And it was like, wow, the Yankees are like this pesky upstart. The Knicks, in many ways, I had no expectations. I didn't think they were going to be particularly good, even though I love Tibbs. And every night, Mike, I'm like, this team is a ton of fun.
4: Oh, it's And that's it. It's, you know, the, the world loves an underdog. And in some ways, they were a big underdog. And When you have a team that... that overachieves I always feel for the fan base um, those are the most enjoyable and that's my whole season I keep thinking about the fan base Uh, and even though there's 2,000 fans and those fans have been great at the garden when they show up um, I I just keep thinking about what the building would have sounded like this year if it was packed because it is the most loyal fan base Uh, they can be harder on their team but they are so loyal and dedicated uh, that I'm really happy for them that they get to cheer on a good team,
1: well, Mike, I could tell you it was at Yankee Stadium Tuesday when they were heckling the you know what out of the Astros, Altuve, Bregman, you name it, you get double the amount at Madison Square Garden for playoff games. If it's five thousand, six thousand, whatever it is going to be, Mike, that crowd is going to be off the rails, dude.
4: yeah, no, it's there's there's no doubt because they're just they're, they're so hungry. They were just hungry for a competitive team, let alone a team that, You know, prior to the the game uh, last night against Denver, they had the eighth-best record in the NBA. We're not talking about four-seed in the East. The entire NBA, they had the eighth-best record. There isn't the most optimistic Nick fan out there that would have said that if you would have told them that on May 5th, they would have had the eighth-best record in the league.
1: Okay, you're an optimistic guy. You're calling the games. When was the moment for you? Was it early in the year? Was it midway through the year where you said to yourself, Holy smokes, this team is pretty good.
4: Well, you, you knew just by watching them in preseason, right away you can say, you look at them and you say, boy, that's a really well-coached team. Because you knew that was going to happen. And you knew they were going to at least play hard and, and play good team defense. So you thought, okay, they're going to be maybe a little better than we thought. I thought, quite honestly, I did think Tom Thibodeau, just his presence was going to add maybe 10 wins uh, if they all stayed healthy. But it was after an early – they went through a real struggle. Remember if they started off 5-3, and three, they beat Utah. They had a great comeback against Utah. And then they lost five games in a row. And some of them were bad losses. They lost to OKC. They lost to Cleveland. And it was like, oh, no, here we go again. But they come back and they, they crushed the Boston Celtics, crushed them. And that's when you think, okay, this team's got a little bit of a mental toughness. They've got some resiliency to them. And uh, that's when you thought, okay, they're going to be they're going to be okay because if they can come back after that stretch and play like that. So, but uh, throughout the season, there were little segments where, like, boy, that that's a game they would have lost, or well, that's a game. There's no way they'd ever win that game in past years. So it just it was this buildup that that uh, made you believe, and it's still sometimes it's hard to believe that you know they still have a shot at the fourth spot in the East.
1: So at my prior gig, Mike, last summer, I was yelling and screaming for Tibbs. I wanted him to be the coach. Maybe it's because I'm a sucker for those 90s teams that I think about Jeff Van Gundy on the sideline. I think about Patrick Ewing and those teams I grew up rooting for. And I saw what Tibbs did with Chicago. They were a tough team. They played hard. They played D. For you, though, you were around those 90s Knicks teams. You saw Tibbs in Boston. You saw him in Chicago. Was there a moment for you, Mike, where you said, this guy's got a chance to be a really terrific NBA head coach? Did you see it even when he was an assistant?
4: Well, you saw it uh, just from talking to him. If you had a conversation with him, the things he would say, the things he would see immediately after a game, without having to look at the tape, without having to look at the box score. That's how I sometimes, when you have a conversation with, with somebody after a game or a coach after a game, and they don't have to, Look at the film or the box score and they know exactly what went on. And he was like that. And then Jeff Van Gundy uh, would tell me what a great basketball mind he was. Uh, And then when he went to Boston, Doc Rivers would say the same thing. It's like this guy is he is so prepared. He's so dedicated. So when you start to hear it from all these top people that you really respect, you know, he's going to be good. And then when you watched him, um, you know, he's a no excuse coach. I remember time and time again when he was in Chicago, they'd have injuries, whether it was Derek Rose, whether it was Joakim Noah, who would occasionally get banged up. Uh, and somebody had asked about Tibbs, "Oh, you got a big game, but you're shorthanded." His comment was always the same: "We got enough to win." He would say it all the time, and he would transport that onto the players, where you know the players might doubt, "Can we win tonight without these guys?" "No, no, we got enough to win," and and that's the type of no excuse coach that this franchise needed at this particular time.
1: You see any similarities between Tibbs and your broadcast partner, Jeff Van Gundy?
4: Absolutely. Um, you know they influenced each other. I mean, uh, Tibbs will tell you what a big impact that that, that Jeff had on him, um, and, and so much of it is is just it's the don't leave any stone unturned, and the attention to detail. And the two of them have always talked about this. And Yubi Brown's another one that told me um, teams that practice well play well, and that's one of uh, is real, uh, that's one of his real mantras. And you can tell that if, if you're not practicing hard, if you're not practicing well, that's how you get better. I mean, look at anything we've ever tried in our lives. If you don't practice, you're not gonna get better at it. Yeah, you can play in the games and I guess improve some, but practice is what, what the key is. And because of the way the NBA is set up now, and especially this year with the pandemic, uh, practice is at a premium. So you've gotta have great practice habits and the players have to buy in And that's the other thing, John, is he got a lot of these players at the right time in their careers. A guy like Julius Randle for six years, I think his winning percentage in his first six years in the NBA was like 3.339. The best team he ever played for was 12 games under 500. So he was tired of getting numbers and he put up good numbers. He had a couple of 19 and 10 seasons, but he was tired of getting number. He wanted to win. So he wanted to be coached and he wanted to be coached hard. And that's a big deal uh, to me in the NBA is uh, do you get, if you're coached, do you get the player at the right time? Because players early in their career, they define their games by how many points they score as their careers go on. They define their games by how many wins they get in the playoffs.
1: I got to take the L on Julius Randall. I'll take the W for coach Tibbs. I'm taking the L on Julius because Mike, when they let go of Porzingis and they end up, whiffing on KD. They whiff on Kyrie Irving. That was my fear with Randall. I loved him at Kentucky. He was able to get buckets, but he played on a lot of losing teams. And you know, this year around the league, there are certain guys who have that sort of empty statistic type label to them playing on bad teams. First year with the Knicks, eh, didn't really do it for me. This year though, he's a completely different player. It's amazing. He's a legitimate MVP candidate. You think this is sustainable over the next couple of years?
4: I do because he's he's completely committed himself, and I was with you. Um, you know, talented player, but I felt you know uh, one of those guys that put up good stats on bad teams. And he admitted, I don't know if you read, did you read that um, story in the Players Tribune that he wrote?
1: I did. It was terrific.
4: Really, really good. How many how many guys would be that brutally honest about their shortcomings? Not and- many,
1: Mike. You know this. Not many.
4: And, and for him to admit all those shortcomings, that he wasn't prepared to be the leader, that he knew he had to get better, um, that he was tired of of, of a guy that, that that had talent but didn't quite achieve what he was able to. I, I thought it was an amazing article and it showed the dedication he had this summer uh, to get ready. And Tibbs said that when he when he first saw him, when he first came to training camp, he realized number one, what great shape he was in. And the other thing, how well he was shooting the ball. So the guy completely, Uh, revamped his game and and the thing that that makes me feel without question he's most improved he didn't just improve on his shooting he improved on every facet of the game he improved on his conditioning on his obviously his three-point shooting his free throw shooting he improved on his handle he improved on his decision making every facet of the game improved on his defense and to me um, especially for a player who still was getting paid a lot of money and was putting up good numbers Uh, That shows you what his agenda was. His agenda was now to finally get on a team that's going to win.
1: It's crazy, Mike, because it seems like you've been doing the NBA Finals for forever. And I grew up, I don't want to make you feel old again, but I grew up listening to you on the radio. Then you make the move doing the Nick games on TV. And even though I'm like a 17-year-old kid getting ready for prom and all that stuff, I remember I was fired up when I found out you were doing that first, I believe, Mavericks Heat. NBA finals of uh, finals, by the way, I'm still sick over cause I lost a couple of bets on it. I had Dallas. I, I think I'm paying for everybody's meals. And then some, uh, with game four game, oh, just don't get me started. But anyway, for you personally, you get that call. You're putting your time in with the Knicks. You're doing games at NBC, but calling the NBA finals for a major network. When you get that call kind of talk me through what that was like.
4: Um, it's something that that I had never dreamed of um I just was for me the 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 ultimate dream job was just broadcasting Nick games on the radio and when i got that call to me there was nothing that would ever possibly top that and then to get a chance to me it's it's an honor and a privilege to to call an nba finals game and to be doing it this long um i i don't understand it I, i've been blessed far more than i deserve John and uh, i just The way I look at it is, you know, it's a responsibility. So you better be prepared. You better make sure that you're ready all the time and and give the viewers what they want or at least try to give the viewers what they want. Uh, But when I first got that call, I, I remember I was, you know, very emotional. And, you know, to be able to do it that first year, I was with UB, UB Brown. And I'll tell you a quick story, if you don't mind. So it's before game one, I get a call from one of the executives at ESPN. And he tells me, he goes, now, you know, you got to, you got to call the finals different than you call other games. He says, because the finals are going to have a lot of casual fans there and they might not understand some of the regular nuances of the NBA that the, the hardcore fans will, will know. So you've got to change a little bit and explain things a little more. So now I'm like, I'm oh change. no! so I was a little nervous. I was nervous enough as it is. So now I sit down and do the game and I'm sitting with you and I, I might be exaggerating, but I think like the first foul, the guy goes to the line. I must—I said something effective. Uh, he was fouled. Now he gets to shoot two free throws from the line. You know, I like explaining what a free throw is, and it just was—it was ridiculous. And Yubi could sense that I was really nervous, and this had kind of screwed with my head. So during the first time out, Yubi leans over and he grabs my arm. And when Yubi grabs your arm, and he looks you in the eye, and he says, "Hey, kid." Just do what you always do. You'll be fine. It just completely settled me down, and I went from like shaking and not feeling comfortable to just calling the game the way I always did. And like, that's f- like
1: getting a pep talk from Mickey and Rocky. Let's be honest. That's like yeah. Mickey right there firing you up.
4: Right. You get a pep talk from Ube Brown. Um, you'll run through a wall for him, and that's that's a moment that I remember because I was so so nervous uh, going into it, and he just he just put me at ease and. And we had a we had a had a blast doing the finals.
1: Do you have a favorite NBA Finals moment in all your years of doing the games or a series in particular? Uh,
4: well, it's hard to pick one. And that Game Six uh, between Miami and San Antonio, the Ray Allen. Ah, that
1: was an epic one. Oh yeah,
4: because so many things went into it. Uh, I mean, for for um, for the Heat to win that game there had to be six thing, six things happen in the final 30 seconds, and all six things came through. And that was the game where they had the rope around the, the court because the Spurs were going to
1: – And all the fans were leaving, right, Mike? All the Miami people were getting the hell out of there.
4: Try to get back in. Um, that that certainly is is up there. Um, I think the, um, the game seven – any game sevens are, are huge, but the game seven between Cleveland and Golden State You know, for Cleveland to do what they did, come back from 3-1 down um, and to win on the road in a game seven for a city that hadn't won a championship in, what was it, 54 years. um, That was memorable because it meant so much to so many people in that that city. Uh, So those two probably, uh, they really stand out
1: for me. Is it a challenge for you? It doesn't seem like it watching you you work with so many different types of broadcasters, whether it's Hubie Brown, whether it's your guys on ABC, whether it's Clyde, Doris Burke. I mean, they're all studs in their own right, Mike. But do you almost feel like you have to like suit that broadcaster's talent? Or is it as simple as we're watching a basketball game, we're shooting the shit watching a basketball game, and we're going to try to keep it as simple as we can?
4: You know, that's a great question, John. Uh, you do have to adjust the way you call the game according to who you're doing it with. Uh, For example, when Yubi calls the game, he brings a lot of numbers. He loves to prove points with his numbers. Uh, So when I'm preparing for the game, I'm not going to use a lot of numbers when I'm calling the game because Yubi's going to take care of that. And I don't want to overload the broadcast with too many numbers. With Jeff and Mark, they don't use the numbers a lot. A lot of them is field and what they're seeing with their eyes. So when I prepare for a game with them, uh, I'll use a lot more numbers. Uh, just to kind of balance and try and make sure we cover everything. And then with Clyde, I mean Clyde is is so different. Um, you know, Clyde sometimes you have to you have to ask more questions to to get him going. And once you get him going, um, you know, it just he says so many things that that comes from a guy that has seen it all and was one of the great all time players. So there is there's there's a there's a difference in terms of how I approach the game. Um, but I love working with all different people because you learn from each one of them. Um, I've learned so much basketball from the people who sit next to me in these games. Um, it's just amazing. And I still learn. And when I, I I've said the same thing over and over again with Mark and Jeff, every game I do with them, and I mean every game, I laugh and I learn. And it doesn't get better than that for a play-by-play guy.
1: Nick's going back to the 90s. I always say the greatest what-if with those teams, and I know a lot of people say 93 was their best team up 2-0, losing four straight to the Bulls. What will bother me until I'm in the grave, Mike, is up 3-1 against Miami, splitting with Chicago that year. They beat them the final game of the regular season. No load management in that one. (laughs) I wanted that Bulls series so bad as a kid, and that team, Patrick was still in his prime, got Houston, got Johnson. Do you look at that as the great what-if? those 90s Knicks or is it far more the idea of if they got past Chicago in 93 Barkley and the Suns and what would have happened in that final
4: no the one you talked about
1: that that was the best Knick team that was the one that was capable of winning it all
4: I, and I thought they clearly were and, and they were dominating Miami up until that incident um and obviously it changed the entire thing um yeah that that's the team that's the one that got away you know, as far as I'm concerned of all the Nick teams that I that I broadcasted, to me that was the that one that was probably the number one in terms of being the championship contender.
1: You surprised Melo is back doing his thing. I'm a Syracuse guy. I'm like one of the many thousands here in the broadcasting business. So I apologize for that in advance. Uh, I thought he was done. Quite frankly, I didn't know if he was going to be willing to buy in as a supporting player. I'm happy for him. It seems like he's having a time of his life playing with Damian Lillard in Portland. You spent a lot of time around Carmelo Anthony. Did you expect him to buy in as like, you know, a supporting lead actor, if you will?
4: Well, you hit the nail on the head. That's why his career is still going as well as it's going, is because he finally said, okay, I've got to change. I can't be the guy anymore. I've got to be part of it. I've got to assume a role. Because without that, it wouldn't have worked. And he finally did. And I'm glad to see it because he still has so much to offer both from a basketball production standpoint on the court and the respect he has off the court uh, with not only his teammates, but around the league. So it's great to see. And, and, you know, when he came to the Knicks, he was so talented and, you know, put up huge numbers, but I always felt that he could have been a better teammate from a standpoint of sharing the ball a little bit more committing more to defense Um, and then watching him in those years with the Knicks, you know, he always thought what a great player, but I grew so much respect for him as a man because of the way he handled the responsibility of being the guy, no matter if he had a huge game and they won or he was awful and they lost, he always stood in front of the media after every game, handled the questions, treated everybody the right way, treated everybody with class and respect and then when it started to go sideways with him and Phil Jackson kind of sniping at each other in, in, uh, in the media, he handled that so well. He could have come back and, and blasted because in a lot of ways he wasn't treated the right way, um, but I thought he handled it really well. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see that he's still playing and doing it, but it wasn't until he accepted the fact that he knew he couldn't be the guy anymore, and that's, that's made all the
1: difference, John. You got to be fired up for the playoffs. You know, normally, Mike, you just have your ABC, ESPN responsibilities. Uh, Now we're going to be looking at what, like three or four games a week for Mike Breen? Is that going to be the deal for at least, you know, maybe a couple weeks? That's the hope.
4: Usually when the playoffs start, I feel like I'm I'm working a part-time job. because A lot more time on the
1: golf course, probably, right?
4: (laughs) ESPN in the first, for the first round, really first round and a half, almost first month of the playoffs. We only do Friday, Saturday, Sundays. TNT does Monday through Thursday, so I get to sit home and watch all the games at night, which I love doing. Uh, but not working during the week mostly. But now with the Knicks in it, uh, MSG Network will will have some of the games, and hopefully most of them, because uh, sometimes if it's on ABC, that becomes exclusive. Um, so I, I can't wait to call it a Nick playoff game. I can't wait. I feel like a lot of these games over the past month have been like playoff games because they're so important, and that's what we were hoping for. Going into the season, we just like, can we have really important games to call down the end of the year? Even if they don't make the playoffs, just give us big games down the end. And they've given us uh, that and a whole lot more.
1: Now, I've heard this through the grapevine. You are a big time, diehard New York Mets fan. That's that's accurate, right? Like, I'm not hallucinating here because I've heard it mentioned you on the broadcast, heard it in a variety of different places. People say Mike Breen is a die-hard New York Mets fan. So, are you going to try and uh, work a little magic? Maybe get Jeff Van Gundy out there to fire up your guy Lindor, get him out of his slump. Let's go here, Mike. Well, I'm,
4: I'm, I'm, I'm sure Lindor is going to turn it around. But I am—I've already been to a, to a game at, at City Field this year, and usually when the season ends, the NBA season. I try and get to about 20 or 25 Met games in person. And if I don't get there, I, uh, I sit at home, I watch almost every night. I mean, I'm spoiled because of, uh, Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and Keith Hernandez. Um, there's, they do such a great job, but yeah, I've loved the Mets since I was a little kid. Uh, Bud Harrelson was my favorite when I played in little league and in high school, I always wore number three. So, uh, the Mets are, the Mets are my team. And, no, I don't like the way they've started, but I think we're going to be
1: fine. Royalty in New York, by the way. You know, you brought that up. Gary Cohen, Mike Breen, Iron Eagle, Michael K. Mike, not a whole lot of cities have that going for them, no matter what the teams look like. That's pretty darn cool for guys like me, man, having you guys doing the games.
4: Seriously. Well, that, uh, that's kind of you to say, John. Thank you. I, I'm uh, the one I uh, – my favorite is, is Michael Kay. We went to Fordham together. And uh, we used to sit around at the, at the college radio station, you know, and when you're that old or when you're that age, you, you, you talk about stuff. And his dream was to be the Yankee announcer. My dream was to be the Nick announcer we would say that out loud and then would laugh at each other and say two fools thinking about stuff like that and to see where he's gone. And he is he's fantastic on the air, both as a play by play and his talk show. Um, I, I'm just so proud of him. And, and so I heard
1: sad. you getting him in the golf.
4: Yeah, he took he. Well, am
1: You got to get him out there. If I could be on the golf course, Mike and Van Gundy could be on the golf course. Anybody can be on the golf course.
4: I agree. I've been trying to get him for years. Now I saw he took a picture uh, and and put it on Twitter of him prior to taking his first golf lesson. But until I see him out on the golf course swinging the golf club, uh, then I'll be okay with it. But I'm hoping he sticks with it.
1: What is the betting line? Breen Van Gundy. How many strokes are we giving Van Gundy if you guys are matching up? 25, well, 30?
4: Well, Jeff and, and Mark never played golf. And then we get down on the bubble. In the bubble, there wasn't a lot to do besides call the games because we weren't allowed to, to leave the, the hotel area. But there was a golf course right on, on the grounds of the hotel we stayed at, and it was a nice golf course. So they rented clubs. Uh, Jeff even took a couple of lessons. And... He went from being obviously a novice to actually being pretty good. He got, by the end of the bubble, he got to be really good. And then Mark got into it. And Mark's so competitive, he wanted to beat Jeff. So he got really good. And by the end, they were both playing really, really well. And I think since the bubble, I think Jeff has played once and Mark has not played. So all the momentum, they just
1: crushed. All that good work right down the drain. And to think, Mike, even with all your success, you could have had a hell of a reality show. If we had Jackson, Van Gundy, you had a little camera in the golf cart, that would have been worth the price of admission.
4: Well, Joe, we we've talked about this. The ultimate reality show would be Mark and Jeff. Like, we have fun on the air, and we're always laughing. But the rides to the arena, that's, that's when the best fun is. One of these days, we're going to get a camera on that. The arguments those two have on the rides to the arena, they talk about everything and argue about everything. And it's uh, it's just so entertaining.
1: Mike, my final one is not going to be from me. An audience member, one of our, we get voicemails. I can't take calls yet on this show. So we get voicemails and it does the trick. I get to yell and scream. We have a little bit of fun. I have a voicemail I want to play. Is that okay?
0: Sure. Let's hear it. Hey, JJ, this is Jack from Manhattan. Calling for a question I'm hoping you can tackle with Mike Breen. Mike, you're a legend. We love you. Thibodeau's been doing a really nice job with a 9-10, even 11-man rotation. That's going to have to get thinned, obviously, in the playoffs to maybe around 8. And I'm curious, Mike and JJ, what do you think that's going to be? It's not obvious to me, looking at the roster, where he's going to trim. uh, And I'm really worried that Quickly is going to be the odd man out because he's really getting the fewest minutes of the major guard players. So. I'm just curious who you think the eight guys that Tibbs is going to throw out there to beat the Hawks and then beat the Sixers are. Thanks, guys.
1: I'm letting the voice of the Knicks handle this one. This is all you, Mike.
0: Yeah, I, I don't
4: think he's going to change that at all. Um, I think Quickly and Rose have have provided such a sparkle off the bench, and they play so well together. Um, I don't think it's going to impact that. And, and he really likes that second unit so much. You know, obviously, Taj Gibson's going to play a lot. So between those three and now Alec Burks, you've got to find room for Alec Burks. Um, I, I think he's going to play nine on a regular basis. And, you know, occasionally, it so much depends on the matchups. Um, but he likes that second unit as a whole. So I think they'll still continue to play uh, fairly big minutes. And Quickly's going to play. There's no doubt. Quickly and Rose together, uh, they won a lot of games, just the two of them by what they've done. And um, if anything, I think some of the starters might have their minutes cut a little bit, namely Alfred Payton. I know Payton gets, a, he gets a, a rough treatment from the fans on Twitter. I know he gets crushed, and he's been inconsistent, there's no doubt. But he's also provided some, some good moments for him, and, uh, and Thibodeau really trusts him defensively and quickly was not ready like people wanted him to start early on in the season. I know I'm going off, off, off tangent here.
1: Now you're allowed. You're
4: allowed. I think I think he's going to go deeper than, than you would expect come playoff time. Maybe cut the minutes a little bit, uh, but he really loves that second unit, the energy they bring and how well they play together. So I, I think he's still going to go 9 or 10 deep in the playoffs.
1: So Mike, gut feel, who are the Knicks playing in the first round? I'm rooting for a Knicks-Celtics first round series because I'm already negotiating the terms with Simmons, and I might want to get some odds on it considering you know the Celtics Come on, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I want plus money, and Bill can afford it. We don't have to worry about that. Will we get Knicks, Celtics, Knicks, Hawks, Knicks, Heat? What are you thinking right now?
4: Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be either the Hawks, the Heat, or the Celtics. Uh, be one of those three. Um, obviously, Charlotte and Indiana have kind of kind of fallen off a little bit. In fact, Washington might even overtake uh, and get into the ninth spot. But it's gonna be one of those three. Uh, and I, I think all three will be difficult. Atlanta's playing great basketball right now. Um, Miami and Boston have been so peculiar. You just don't know what you're going to get. And the key for them is who plays. If Jimmy Butler plays and Bam out of bio and they're, they have fairly a, a, a full roster and guys aren't out. Uh, they're going to be tough to beat. And I don't think even the top three are going to want to play Miami.
1: I want no part of Miami, Mike. Zero, Yo, zero part of Miami. That's a hard pass for me.
4: And Boston has been a Jekyll and Hyde, so it's hard. The team that might be the hardest matchup for them could, could be Atlanta uh, because Atlanta's playing really well. And, um, you know, that last game, they were getting hit pretty good until Trey Young turned his ankle. Uh, so either matchup is going to be great. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be difficult. But just to be able to say, you know, welcome to game one of the NBA playoffs, the Knicks and the whoever is going to be a dream come true for a lot of fans.
1: Well, Mike, I can't wait to watch. This has been an absolute thrill. And God, thank you. You were a class act. I got the picture at the win, like from seven, eight years ago at the Summer League. I buzzed my hair. I think I was clean (laughs) shaven at the time. So when I post this audio, Mike, that picture might be circulating again on social media. Just saying. (laughs)
4: Well, John, it's great. It's great to catch up with you and talk with you. I'm I'm thrilled for your success. I love your energy and your enthusiasm. And uh, anytime, it's my pleasure to be on with you.
2: That's
1: the Hall of of Mike Breen, a lot more to do. New York, New York, right here on The Ringer Podcast Network.
2: This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm about be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7 Eleven, valid through 1725? 711 has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax. Participating US stores, see app for full terms, all rights reserved.
1: So I figured we'd welcome in one of my favorite people at television, who, by the way, has been like toying with clean shaven, full beard. (laughs) Now he's got the goatee like a badass. My good pal, Eamon McEnady. Eamon, it's nice to actually see it. You know, we've done television for a year in this sort of format, but now I never actually see you, dude. I just hear your voice. So it's good to actually see you, by the way.
5: Uh, Absolutely. Great to talk to you. The newsroom's not the same without you guys. So, uh, but, you know, it's great to have you guys on uh, on the show and talking New York sports. So, at least we're doing that. Describe to me, Eamon, for anybody
1: who's wondering. So, Eamon and I work together at SNY. Eamon is one of the outstanding anchors there. I'm one of the guys that comes in from time to time. I yell and scream about whatever. But you're in your element. You know, you're getting everything handed to you. But yet, those newsroom discussions, Kind of set the stage for everybody what it's like being in a local New York television station when you got like Yankees, Mets, college football and all that craziness going on.
5: It's awesome. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, the end of this month. You know, we're talking about it. We're going to have three playoff teams and the Yankees and the Mets rocking and rolling. I mean, it's going to be. You know, I hate to go, you know, I'm a dinosaur, but it's going to be like what it was like back in the late 90s when the Knicks and Rangers were really good. And there was a playoff game every night and the Yankees were obviously getting going, um, you know, as a championship team in 96. But, you know, that's that's what it's like. And that's what this town has not had. I mean, I understand the Islanders are not the Rangers, but you're going to have the Knicks the Nets, the Islanders, and oh, by the way, Yankees and the Mets, it's going to be electric. Uh, it's not going to be like going to Brother Jimmy's and Bamboo Bernie and Victory Cafe because, you know, the bar scene ain't what it used to be right now during uh, the pandemic, but they're still, it's still, they're still open at least. But uh, it's going to be really exciting. It's really exciting now, but certainly to see the Knicks and the way they're playing in a postseason, and then, of course, what the Nets are going to do, its going to the end of this month in June is going to be electric in this town.
1: You would agree with this.
5: When the Knicks are going good, they're the number one team in town. Is that fair to say? I think absolutely, because there's no split loyalties. I mean, I understand the Nets are probably going to play for the championship and are the better, more talented team, but they haven't made a dent in this city. So when you go back to when Riley was here and when Van Gundy was here, there's no split loyalty. There's no Yankee fan, Met fan, Giant fan, Jet fan. We're all Knicks fans. And it's just the other thing is, the rivalries that come with that league. I don't know what it's going to be like now, but you know, when you think back to the Ewing Knicks, the Knicks fan hated everybody. You hated Reggie Miller. You hated Alonzo morning when he was on the Hornets. You hated Larry Johnson when he was on the Hornets. You obviously hated uh, Michael Jordan and the Bulls. It just it seemed no matter who the Knicks played in a playoff series, there was going to be a tussle and a rivalry by the end of it. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this team handles the postseason.
1: Those teams, who did you hate the most? Chicago, Miami, Indiana. Oh,
5: <sighs> Miami, I think, because of Riley. Yeah.
1: Hey, you know what it is? Jordan was the guy I hated the most because the Knicks could never get past him. But Riley and then that 96-97 series, Amon, which I'm still bitter about. Those games with Miami, bro, every night was a war, dude. It was a every war. Every night was a
5: war. But you knew we never should have lost to him. The Knicks never should That whole, I mean, don't even bring up Charlie Ward and P.J. Brown. It just... You know, and then you take it a step further and you hear Allen Houston saying that that was the best designed team, built team to beat the Bulls that year. Yeah, would have, could have, should have. It's a great New York argument. But, you know, just the Heat, because they weren't good. They just got under our skin. I mean, don't get me wrong, Hardaway could go off, but Alonzo couldn't do anything against Patrick. I mean, and Jeff Van Gundy was just as good a coach in game day as Riley. They never should have lost a series to that team. I mean, don't get me wrong, the games were close. I'm not saying they were chopped liver, but the Knicks never should have lost a series to that Heat team. And it was great. Great beating them as a one seed, and the, the Knicks were an eight. Uh, you also hated the Pacers. You hated Reggie Miller because a little bit of both. Obviously, he was clutch, so you hated that, but he also flopped. He kicked out the legs. Um, you know, you, you hated them just as uh, a smidge below the Heat.
1: I get a ton of voicemails and calls from the old game and about John Carlos Stanton. Listen, I've roasted him plenty time to time, including right. plenty of conversations with you. He is playing the best baseball I think I've ever seen him play in the regular season. Now, he's making $30 million a year. He obviously has to do it in the playoffs. You've noticed the double standard with him and Judge. Judge strikes out six times in a row, doesn't hear a boo at Yankee Stadium. If Stanton did that, they'd be throwing shit on the field. I mean, that's just basically the way it works, but... Do you now finally feel Stanton has come into his own and is comfortable here in New York or you're not there yet?
5: It's got to be a parade down the Canyon of Heroes. That's how this town operates. You know that. I mean, look, the other night, you know, against the Astros, he hits the bomb, he hits the line drive, but I'm sitting there shocked when he fights one off the other way to bloop it to right. What was the last time we've seen that almost from any Yankee, let alone John Carlos Stanton, you know, you bring up the double standard, you know that JJ, you know how this town operates. Judge is homegrown. Judge hasn't cashed in yet. John Carlos Stanton was traded. John Carlos Stanton's making a boatload of money. So he's going to have to do more. And he's also not come through as a Yankee. You know, um, that's the big thing. But look, right now he's on a tear. You know, enjoy it while while it lasts. I think clearly, you know, and he's not just hitting bad pitching. You know, that was always the thing. He could just beat up bad pitching. But, you know, look, the bottom line is he's going to have to do it in the postseason. And the Yankees are going to have to win a World Series for the whole team. Stanton, Cole, Aaron Boone, the whole nine yards, even, you know, judge. And, uh, you know, obviously of course, Glaber, this group has to win a world series. That's how you're judged when you put on that uniform
1: and even if they don't get to a world series this year in the American league, they got to make major changes, dude. Major. Cause look at the American league who right now, listen, winning in the playoffs, short series. I know anything can happen. Who is the team right now in the American league that should beat the New York Yankees? I can't find one.
5: Oh, we probably would have had the same conversation last. Well, not May, obviously, but you know what I mean? I mean, did anyone honestly think at the beginning of the year, Tampa was going to be no, Yankees in the short the series? Of no, but the I did. Right. No, yes, of course. I did. Right. After after the the course. I did right. No, but we're not there yet. So I, I look, they're always, it's, it's always the goal to get to October. And, you know, you talk about shake it up. That's not Hal's way right now. Hal knows Cashman. Cashman likes Boone. It's all one big happy family. Hal doesn't want to clean house and work with someone he doesn't know. You know, It's just, it's not, you know, it's not the old days in that regard. And I'm not saying it should be. The other thing is, is that with Stanton's contract and the way they're built, it's tough to just make a major overhaul. There's really not a whole lot they can do. I mean, look, they went out and got coal. That was supposed to be good enough. You know, and then obviously the the Severino hasn't, you know, been healthy. You know, Tanaka's gone. So it just – it's the little pieces that haven't been there. They've gone and gotten the big pieces. You know, it's just sort of, you know, the Glaber Torres hasn't evolved. Obviously, Sanchez. I mean, that's the funny thing. You know, if you talk about being in the newsroom and arguing, all the stuff we heard about why Girardi had to go, oh, this is a great move, getting rid of a manager who took the team to game seven of the ALCS because, you know, the young guys weren't flourishing under Joe Girardi in his, you know, tough ways. What young players flourished? And I'm not blaming Boone, but, I mean, that's why it was silly then, right? Sanchez has gotten worse. Severino's been gone. And Torres has gotten worse. So, I mean, those guys have not developed into what we all
1: thought they would be. You've been doing television in New York for a long time. I've wondered this question myself doing radio. If there was one time period, Amon, not when you've been on the air, but you're a good historian of New York City and New York sports, where you kind of, like, put yourself in a time machine and said, Man, I wish I was doing TV sports or I wish I was doing radio uh, podcasting. When would it be?
5: I mean, not even close. 1994. I mean, uh, the, okay. yeah, I mean, 94, 95, 96. I mean, the, the one of the reasons why I really wanted to be on air in New York. First, of course, was Warner Wolf growing up as a kid. Jerry Girard on Channel 11. But the great Al Troutwig, and I say that with the utmost respect. I had a chance to work with Al. But imagine this career and this life when you're Al Troutwig, host extraordinaire, sideline reporter extraordinaire for Madison Square Garden Television, and you go from Nick playoff game to Ranger playoff game to Yankee regular season game for about two months. You go ninety four. Nick's going to game seven of the NBA finals, Rangers finally winning the Stanley cup and the Yankees being really, really, really good in a strike shortened season. 90, the late 94 on is a tremendous period in New York sports. Certainly I would love to understand what it was like to be in an office with Billy Martin when he was upset after a game. That's sure, I a, thought you
1: were going by. the yeah,
5: way. Yeah. I mean, look for that team. Sure. But to be all total New York sports, uh, it would have to be uh, 94, 95. You know, that's the other thing. Like the, the relationship, everyone talks about the big, bad media. And it certainly still is because it's more of it in New York. But it's so now, you know, everything's a news conference. Everything looks or a Zoom. But, you know, even, if, you know, everything is there. It's not you know, the guy in his meeting, the manager in his office with five or six guys or people that he thinks he can trust and really start laying people out or throwing stuff. You know, I mean, you look at that great video of Hal McRae, that kid, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, you listen to the, you know, Lee Ilya with the Cubs or Tommy Lasorda when he was asked, what do you think of Kingman's game? That doesn't happen anymore because all the interaction with the media is set and designed news conferences. So as far as being a host, a show on a nightly basis, it's 94. As a reporter, yeah, sure. I would love to have been been around that those Yankee teams in the Bronx Zoo days.
1: From what you do when you started in sports television to where you are right now, how much has it changed? Not just the social media aspect. I'm talking about, like, nightly highlights on a day-in and day-out basis. Have you noticed a shift? Have you noticed a change? Oh, sure. of course. What, what would be the biggest change? Social
5: uh, uh, media? I mean, social media, the access, like, you know, Like I mentioned, Warner Wolf and Jerry Girard, those guys were hilarious. My first job out of college, I had a chance to work at ESPN as a production assistant. And You sit there and you watch Dan Patrick, Bob Lee, John Saunders, Keith Olbermann, right? There's a personality. Anyone can read a highlight, but what separates a great anchor or a good anchor from, you know, a boring anchor is your personality, flare, is what you sure. know, a little flair, you know, about the guy. Hey, this is the guy who came through in game one and he leads off game two, you know, adding a little something. Anyone can sit there and go Stanton home run to left for one Yankees. So that now has lost some of it because everyone can get their highlights from YouTube or the phone. I'll tell you a story like and I knew that the sort of things were changing. My son is a huge Russell Westbrook fan. So I used to, my son Quinn. So I used to DVR the NBA TV nightly highlight show so he could watch it in the morning before school. So I taped it. Westbrook got like 51 night. And I say, Quinn, you want to watch Westbrook's highlights? And he's walking out of the bedroom to eat breakfast. Yeah, I'm watching them right now. You know, and they so- They had to make that- me feel old, Right. That that made me feel old and feel like, okay, I, you know, it's time to go be an accountant because, you know, being the funny highlight reader isn't, and it's still there. You know, there's, there's still, you know, an appetite for that, but it's, it's, it's not the only source, you know, you know, again, another trip down memory lane, you know, I remember, you know, being in a bar when I was an undergrad at Notre Dame and uh, my friend Glenn Kokeman, who lives on Long Island, we said, let's go home and see if the Knicks won on sports center. Right. Who leaves the bar now to see if the Knicks won? I'm on the
1: phone. I'm, uh, watching. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching the watching game. I'm watching the Nick watch game. on TV or I'm watching right. on my phone. Exactly. I'm
5: watching the Knicks. All well, right. I mean, in Indiana, you keep, but uh, if I could be in Indiana, I could still watch the Knicks game on my phone. So, I mean, there's a PS to that story that the bar was rated 15 minutes later, so SportsCenter saved my life. But I don't know if we can tell those stories. I'm just nah, kidding. it's yeah. all
1: right. It's podcast, world Damon. So, yes. you know, NC-17 yeah, no, so. is Simmons' license. call right. the voicemail line. So, you oh, okay. It. You can share one of those from time to time. Okay. It's okay. All right. It's yeah. totally acceptable. Now, I have to ask you, as a guy who played lacrosse at Notre Dame, and Eamon is like the biggest lacrosse guy that I know, did you ever think playing lacrosse, you're an athlete, you're competing? Division One? listen, that's legitimate competition, my friend. I'm not trying to blow smoke. It's, it's, uh, I couldn't be a D1 athlete if I tried. Most of us who sit behind the mic, wouldn't sniff being a D1 athlete. Makes me think of Tony Soprano in the varsity athlete speech. But for you, did you ever envision you'd go from the height of competition where you're like battling guys left and right, and now you're kind of battling in a different arena on television? It's kind of a weird transition in many ways.
5: Oh, it's completely weird. And, you know, I am not the first to come up with this, but the, the toughest adjustment is when you play a sport, there's a scoreboard. Right. Your coach tells you what you did wrong. You watch film. I mean, you know how to get better and you, you know how to keep score. Um, you can't really do that in television. People either like you or they don't. I mean, you, you'll get feedback and you have to improve. But, you know, whether you had a great broadcast or a great show or, it, it, you know, who likes you, who doesn't, it's not the same. You know, you know, nowadays, nowadays, I guess, with social media, it is the same because you find out on Twitter right away what people think of you. But, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like you go and play a game. There's a score. There's a there's a scoreboard at the end of the game. You know, whether you won or lost. That's never gets replaced. But the adrenaline of being around a game and covering a game is, you know, is 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 very exciting. And, uh, you know, it, it is interesting, you know, to sort of take that adrenaline from playing a sport to doing live TV or getting a chance to call a live event.
1: Favorite New York athlete right now?
5: Right now? That's a good question. Uh, Wow. I mean, wow. I mean, Julius Randle pops out. That's where I thought you were going to be. Yeah. I I mean, I, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, you you know, you don't get a chance to really get to know him with the Zooms. It's not the same yet. um, But, and they haven't had that playoff series yet, but it, it never stops. I mean, I'm sure he's had a bad night if we brought out the box scores, but you never really feel it. You know, you start talking about, should they pay him? Should they pay him? Why wouldn't you pay him? You know? Especially
1: when you're in the Knicks and you've stunk for 20 right. years. You got a guy right. who's an all-star. Come on now.
5: Right. Yeah. No, I would definitely think it's tough to giant. No one really jumping out at me as a giant. Um, you know, the Yankee, Yankees have been around. I like I like Garrett Cole. You know, obviously the, you know, I, I think from being around the Mets, someone who I like personally is Michael Conforto. I mean, most of the Mets are really good guys, but, you know, Conforto is a, you know, very easy to deal with and is approachable. So I think he's a really good guy and, you know, you'd like – Mets to build around him, but he has to earn it. You know he's going to have to go, especially you know if Lindor continues to struggle. It's Uncle Stevie, as they like to call him, might be a little reluctant to hand out one of those extensions. I mean, but... I, I
1: can't take the Baez and the Alamo stuff to 100 bats in. I mean, it's crazy. I've seen it already, Heyman. I mean, enough. JJ,
5: that's your job. I know. I mean, I, know, what, I, I mean, no, I mean, out... mean,
1: I can't mute it from time to time, though. Heyman. Sal
5: broke out Jason Bay about 10 days oh, ago. No, I'm, like, oh, no,
1: I'm going no, to tell him the, next time I see
5: him. He, he was just saying like, but so no, you're right. But still, it, it's not a good look right now for Lindor. Oh, he's playing this like crap. Is not. No, he's playing this terrible. is not, and it got. It's getting to him, and he's lucky that uh, a they've been on the road, and b they haven't been full capacity. So he needs a good home stand.
1: I don't think there's any question. Favorite all time New York athlete.
5: Uh, I mean. Chris Mullen, Donnie Baseball. I thought I mean, Donnie
1: was going to be the end. Yeah,
5: No, he is. I mean, you know, it goes in waves of growing up. I mean, obviously, certain Thurman Munson is the guy, you know, but you, you lose him at 10 years of age. I mean, we all lost him, but I, I was 10. But, you know, the formative years and, you know, my guys, my Yankee fan friends, we always feel – that it's Donnie because he kept us as Yankee fans when they were really, really bad stump Merrill, Bucky Dent, you know, the Columbus shuttle back and forth. And, uh, you know, they were just a last place team. He's the reason you cared and kept watching. So of course, it's a shame that, you know, and I've, I've had this conversation with you, but it's a shame that right when he leaves, They don't just become good, they become champions. But that that's why I can't watch that game five in Seattle. I mean, people talk about it being a great game. We were doing
1: that during COVID because I was just itching for something to watch. And I I posted a graphic because it was I'm a peanuts obsessed person. So I think they had like a MetLife graphic with like Snoopy and Charlie Brown. So I screenshotted it. Eamon sent me a text saying, How in God's name are you watching this game? And I'm like, listen, I was seven years old, I hysterically cried, I was devastated. But when you win four out of five, minute it right. made it a little easier, right. I guess, as a kid. To no, digest no. It.
5: no, of course. I mean, of course. Like I, But it's just, I can't watch it because that's his last game. And he play, had a great series, as you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the home run in game two, hold on to the roof. Gary Thorne with the call that, uh, you know, we would play in the SNY newsroom. Uh, you know, he was just, he was great. And, you know, I mean, I'll look, obviously we all know it. But, yeah, him. Donnie Mattingly, Mark Bavaro, you know, the drill, the same guys, you know. But, yeah, Mattingly's definitely uh, at the top of my Mount
1: Rushmore. Are we putting Rocky Four? Eamon is a big movie guy, which I respect. <laughs> Eamon and I work creatures at a night schedules in the sense that he's doing late-night TV. I'm watching games like crazy. So it's 1 in the morning, cracking open a beer, trying to find something to watch. You know the deal, bro. That's the routine. That's is it. Rocky Four atop the mountain for you in the Rocky movies? I didn't know this. No, no it is not.
5: Oh, no. I think three is the best. Really?
1: Well, I, the yeah. tiger,
5: I, the tiger, it moves fastest. It's got some great characters. The Mr. T character, uh, the becoming friends with Apollo, Mickey dying. You know, the, oh, it kills. Yeah. It. It's the tough. Tiger. It's just, sad, but it, it, it moves the quickest of them. It's got the most action. The song is great. The montage. I mean, Rocky four is one big music video. Don't get me wrong. I, if, when I, See, come I home think from the
1: montage is in four of the best.
5: Right, but that's all the movie is.
1: Well, Andrago at the end, it's a great fight. No, of team. course, great no, fights. No, they're all great
5: fights. I mean, they'd all be dead in the first round in real fights. Also but yeah, no. yeah. So I go three, one, four, two, and then uh, I know we get uh, we move on from
1: there. What they're really called, but
5: uh, yeah, I stick with the first four when I rattle them off. But I like three the best.
1: And before we say goodbye, I don't know if you saw the mob movie conversation. That was working its way on the Twitter because I had Nick Totoro on, so we're yes, talking. Yes, I contributed Yankees. to it. Yeah, I and we kind of transitioned into our little movie conversation, and there, are, you know what I realized, Damon? There are a lot of mob movies that I need to watch, including one that you tweeted at me about ten hours ago. I did not see Once Upon a Time in it's,
5: it's a long one. It's a long, long one. You're gonna need a long weekend. I don't remember exactly, but I remember back in the day getting it from Blockbuster, and I'm like, "Well, what's going on here?" You ain't uh, watching
1: in two hours, is what you tell me.
5: No, no, it's 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 the it's the Irishman before the Irishman. But I don't know the exact cast anymore. But it's it's legendary. I mean, you, you Google it and take a look. It's it, it it it's and it covers everything. It gives you the history of of the mob. Um, I watched it a long time ago, but you still start talking about mob movies and what you should watch to know about the mafia in America. uh, Once Upon a Time in America is on that list. I'm not saying it's better than Goodfellas or The Godfathers. Um, It moves a lot slower um, than all of them, but it's it's got all the great actors and it's very well done. And it's old, old time New York. Normally you're putting me on the
1: spot. Now I get to put you on the spot. Okay, Godfather, Goodfellas.
5: Like at 1.30 in the morning with a beer in my hands, gotta be good goodfellas.
1: I agree with that. I agree with yeah, that. I Listen, mean, it's Godfather's just, it's, an epic, but like right. to rewatch, if I have a choice yeah. to rewatch, it's goodfellas by a mile.
5: Let's just say I'll tell this because she's in the kitchen and she can hear me. Back in the day, my wife Brooke knew what kind of night it was when she came home and she heard the car saying Room!
1: Ah, nice
5: vroom because she knew that it was either that or midnight run and this is back vhs days okay this is what uh put him in she said she could tell that uh amon had had a good night when we were watching either midnight run or goodfellas at two two in the morning
1: a movie that never gets old departed or town both agree. Oh, I think it's The Departed.
5: Going away. Uh, you know, I think it's The Town just because I've wow. seen it every Saturday for the last three years. It's on cable, I think. And I always wonder, I'm always saying, how are they going to get over that bridge? There was something about The Departed I didn't love. And maybe it's just because Scorsese finally won it for that. And I always think he's got about 20 better movies than The Departed. Not that it's bad. It's I mean, obviously, it's another legendary cast, and I liked it. Um, I just thought um, he's obviously had so many better movies than that. Um, I just think The Town uh because of the accents i think affleck does a good job you know who's I mean, great in
1: that ham is great in that
5: he's such a jerk
1: like you yeah, love you hate him in that movie he's i good.
5: heard i heard a podcast with your boss who was not a big fan of his boston accent on that well he, listen he, that he,
1: might need a little work but his character in the movie and you know yes. who's good in the movie too lively blake lively is well, awesome
5: well that's awesome that's the that's the podcast. I listened to their podcast on the rewatchables and that's what they talk about that relationship and how Ham plays her and how he's really mean to her and gets everything out of her and then sort of just is, is like the key to the movie. That's how they get her. That's how they get him. That's how they get to Fenway. That's how they find out about, uh, not to give the movie away to everyone, but that's and sort of how seen they, it.
1: that's their loss. Well, that's it's, been true. They haven't haven't, it's not even like not came their, out five months ago. They haven't seen they
5: it It's real. They haven't paid their cable bill in a while because it's on every 10 minutes. But uh, yeah, no, it's, I I would rather watch the departed, uh, excuse me, the town, but I haven't seen the departed in a long time. So maybe I need to uh, find that on at two in the morning.
1: Well, listen, you'll have plenty of opportunities to do so. Don't be a stranger, by the way, even though you see me once a week, uh anytime you feel I see you on the
5: billboard now everyone tells me Times Square is cleaned up in New York how cleaned up is that if JJ's towering over well we're gonna
1: see how that lasts I don't know it might be graffiti (laughs) before I even go see it Uh, well
5: congratulations to you thanks for having me on and that's a great I love seeing everyone retweet it and put it on their stories uh you got a lot of fans and uh that that was pretty cool that Spotify and uh the ringer did that for you
1: well thanks pal I'll talk to you on Sunday that's the great Eamon McEnany over at Sny, my good pal always bringing the heat voicemails Send the weekend, all that more. New York, New York. We're coming right back.
2: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes.
1: So, before we get to some listener voicemails, the net losing skid continues as they fall the Dallas Mavericks 113-109. And off night for Kevin Durant, really good night for Dallas. I mean, listen, Dallas is playing some really good basketball. I know some people are going to look at Brooklyn losing four straight and they're going to be panicking. Think about who Brooklyn has played in this stretch. They have played some heavyweight-type teams. But, know this, the... Home court advantage potentially against the Milwaukee Bucks could be, as Paul Simon once said, slipside and away. Because Milwaukee, in winning those two games Sunday and then winning again on Tuesday, they've won two out of three. So the tiebreaker, if they end up with the same record, is head to head. Milwaukee would own that head to head tiebreaker over Brooklyn. Does it matter? That much for Brooklyn if they have to play a game seven in Milwaukee? Not necessarily. I'd rather have that game in my own building if I had a choice. But you might be looking at the prospect now of Brooklyn with this first year of the big three. Barely playing any games in the regular season. Having to go on the road in Milwaukee and in Philadelphia to try to find their way to the NBA Finals. That's not an easy road. And if I'm Brooklyn, I'm telling you right now, folks, I want Charlotte in the first round. I don't want Miami in the first round. I don't care if Miami is 35 and 31 on the year. Look at those regular season matchups with Brooklyn. Look at those regular season matchups. We talk about it all the time with the New York Knicks. Miami was in the NBA Finals last year. They got dogs on that team. They do. They got dogs. They got guys who are proven performers. I saw it last year in big games. I wouldn't want to play that team. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. I I wouldn't want any part of Miami. That is not your normal run-of-the-mill cupcake first-round series. You're going to have to work. I would pick Brooklyn to win. It wouldn't be easy. That would be a lengthy series. Could you imagine if Brooklyn had to go through Miami, Milwaukee, Philly. That's a hell of a road. Hell of a road to an NBA Finals, especially with Harden, Durant, and Kyrie barely playing basically all damn year. We'll see how much Brooklyn prioritizes getting that two seed. I think the bigger priority is just making sure you guys are ready to go for the playoffs knowing they got to play every other day. And I'm going to give Brooklyn credit for this. I thought for sure Thursday was going to be a rest day for Brooklyn's star players, at least with Durant. I thought I was going to get a notification around 3.30 in the afternoon that Kevin Durant wasn't playing. I think Steve Nash and Marks realized, hey, guess what? We're going to be playing every other day real soon in about two, two and a half weeks. We got to make sure our guys are ready to go. Because they haven't done it all year, and now all of a sudden we're thrusting them into this scenario. How exactly is that going to work? So I give the Nets credit for that. It was a bad night for Durant. Good night for Kyrie Irving. Tough fourth quarter. And Dallas is playing really well. Dallas all of a sudden now is in prime position after going 8-2 and two in their last 10 of being in that 4-5. And I'm rooting like crazy for the Lakers to end up in the play-in series. I really am. I am praying after LeBron was doing all that bitching and all that belly aching and doing a basically 180 on, oh, I think the playing's great. Now, oh, I think the playing is bullshit. LeBron, you can't have it both ways, baby. Can't have it both ways. I want the Lakers in the playing. Give me Lakers Warriors, please. That would be a thing of beauty. And I want to see Portland on the outside looking in because I like Portland. I know they're going play like a liquid defense. I know they're probably going to blow up that team. I like Portland. They've been good to me over the years. I thought the West playing was actually going to be a lot better. And if you get Lakers, Warriors, trust me, it's a great series. But Memphis has not looked good as of late. San Antonio has not looked good as of late. Golden State's kind of been an a team all year. But they got Steph. So Steph alone makes you want to dial in and get into those you know, particular matchups. And then Friday for the Knicks. Remember the last time they played the Suns? Played a tough game. Couldn't close. Johnson, Paul, drove nuts at the end of the game. This next couple of days for the Knicks, not going to be easy. Got to find a way to get one of these story. Phoenix Friday night, Clippers on Sunday, and then the Lakers on Tuesday night. I'd sign right now for one and two. I wouldn't think twice. One and two, and no shame losing to Denver. And Jokic, I mean, he basically locked up the MVP. That sign seal delivered, as Stevie Wonder once said. Jokic probably got himself an MVP. Good for him. I know people ragging on him saying, oh, he's going to be the worst MVP in the last, like, 30 or 35 years. I I hate hearing shit like that. Guy's having a great year, and we got to spit on him. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? To me, that is absolute nonsense when I hear that stuff. You win an MVP, you win an MVP. Give credit what credit is due. I don't like people going after my man, the Joker. He's my dude. I saw some of that today. Some of those dopey hot take shows that are all over the place. I don't even watch them. I don't waste my time watching them. But now I see them on like my social media feed and on Twitter. And I just kind of scroll through and roll my eyes, basically. When I see a lot of that garbage. It's exactly what it is. Worst MVP in the last like 30 years. It's insulting. It's absolutely insulting. And I get it, he's not LeBron, okay? He's not Kobe, he's not Jordan. Cool Jets. Cool Jets. Some of that stuff just blows my mind. I think people just trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah, it is what it is. Now it's time, my friends. Listen to voicemails. And in case you're wondering, I always like to remind the people, if you're trying to get in touch with New York, New York, and I know many of you know the deal, and many of you guys feel like you're seasoned vets already, but some of you, might be new to the party. So I want to share how you get in touch with the show. It's very easy. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. If you want to rant, you want to ask me a question, you want to give me a comment, whatever you want to do, that's how you get in touch with New York, New York. Many of you have gotten in touch with New York, New York. So why waste any time who's up on the horn?
6: JJ, what up? It's Brian from Jersey. And all I got to say is 97 fucking pitches. Is Aaron Boone kidding me? Like what? I I, I mean, I don't know, bro. I'm kind of I'm kind of getting over him. This analytics bullshit. Garrett Cole is our workhorse. Let the guy go out there. The only guy that's beaten him in this Houston game is uh, Alvarez. Who cares? Pitch the ball. Let him pitch the ball. Chad Green comes in, walks the guy, gives up a a hard hit ball to Rochella, and, you know, now we're sitting first and third, nobody out. What the hell? Now Cole's not going to get a win. Just let him go out there. We struggled. You can bring in Green. But everyone else has been not hitting good. So I'm just pissed right now at Aaron Boone. Fucking Aaron Boone.
1: Brian, I understand the critique because I want to Garrett Cole pitch the top half of the eighth inning. Now, I'm going to deflect a little blame away from the Yankee manager because when you have a lead after seven innings, And the bullpen, as good as the Yankee bullpen has been, is coming into the game. It's not for nine outs. It's not for 12 outs. It's for six outs. Chad Green's got to do his job. Chad Green has got to wear the goat horns far more than Aaron Boone in this game. With all that being said, bottom of the order, 97 pitches. I want Garrett Cole pitching the eighth inning. We're in agreement on that. We're in agreement on that. But Chad Green's got to do a job. Don't forget about that. He's one of the premier relievers in all baseball. Didn't have it. Sometimes you're going to lose games that way. Who's next?
6: JJ, it's your boy, the Coney Island Cobra here. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of Limp Ritz, Jim Dolan, But I'm going to say this about Mr. Dolan. He did what he had to do. He had to fire JD and Gordon. Had to be done. Again, they've, they've been able to go out and get talent. But these guys are as soft as fucking Charmin. You cannot have your best player get this shit kicked out of him on the ice. Now, what he should do is fire Mr. Quinn. This coach is horrible. Again, in my opinion, he has not developed this talent. We've had the two the two picks in the, in the draft the last few years. The second pick overall and the first overall pick. And these guys are just not meeting standards. I'm sorry. And he's a guy who's supposed to be working with the young guys. He's got to go. I'll trust the pizza boy, Chris Drury. Shout out to my boys at Colony Grill. Let's go. Let's get it. And hopefully, hopefully, a leader of men is brought in to teach these guys. I'd like somebody who's a, who's a grizzled veteran coach like a Sutter. But if we can't get Sutter, I'll give I'll give the reins to uh, Captain Mark Messier. This man's a leader of men. Let's get it done, Mr. Dolan. Hey, I got to give you credit, JJ. I'll wait for your
1: uh, your opinion on this. Wow, the Coney Island Cobra supporting James Dolan. I did not see that coming. Full disclosure, I did not see that coming. couple of different things to get to. I think Matty is 1,000% right when it comes to Quinn, the head coach. He should be out as well. And I think he will be out. And I don't think anybody would have been surprised when the regular season came to close, the Rangers fired the head coach. Because they have developed talent. They have drafted talent. They brought in Panarin. In a normal year, the New York Rangers are playing in the postseason. They didn't have the benefit of a normal year this time around. I was stunned. They ended up firing JD and Gordon. Stunned. Was it a direct result of losing to the Islanders? we you playoff lives on the line? Maybe. Was it the Wilson incident, the statement, and Dolan getting involved with the statement? And the two hockey guys maybe trying to play nicey-nice? That might have come into play as well. Here's what I know about the Rangers. They've drafted guys that were no-brainers. Nobody's going to argue the draft picks the last couple of years. Not so. You combine that with the signing of Panarin, And a guy like Fox, and it's like, mmm, Front office seems to have a plan. It's a rebuild, after all. I'm surprised they're going in this direction. I'd be concerned, from a Ranger's standpoint, where they're going to take it from here. It's concerning, the way I see it. Concerning. Who's up next? JJ
7: Baby, it's Sean in Seattle. Love the new format. Your time is so much better. You're right there whenever I press the button. Pleasantries aside, Let's talk about the Mets. I need you to get me off the ledge. I was so excited about the new owner, Stevie Cohen. I read the book about him, the Black Edge. This guy knows how to find some juice. He knows how to find a little wiggle room in the rules. I'm thinking things are going to be different from the Will Ponzi's, And here we are, JJ. I don't want to say it, but it feels a lot like same old Mets. We got the Grom. He picked up Thor's workout tapes. He's ripping the lat off his body. And the shortstop from the Indians I mean, this feels a lot like another Alomar, a bum coming over here. And I'm talking about on the field. I hope this guy's not a creep off the field for everybody's sake. JJ, please, we need help. I don't know we need a shaman, some kind of guy to come off the mountains and get the hoodoo out of that ballpark or we burn the thing down, take the insurance money, and set up shop someplace else. But this has got to change, JJ, because you know what? It's another year, and it's getting late early. I don't like it.
1: Sean, you don't got to touch a thing with City Field. City Field is a terrific ballpark. They could use a couple more bars and restaurants around the area for starters. But it's a good place to watch a game. And they finally corrected the element that bothered me the most is that they didn't have any Mets stuff in there. I'm not a Mets fan, but I want to be reminded when I go to City Field that New York Mets actually play here. That's been changed with this new ownership. I am going to talk you off the ledge with Lindor. And I know a lot of Mets fans listening right now are probably saying, 100 at bats in. He has been awful. We're paying him 30 plus million dollars a year. He's got to be better. I'm not going to fight you on that. And I know many of you who are good Met historians are going to bring up Carlos Baerga. They're going to bring up Robbie Alomar. Players coming over from the Cleveland Indians. Star players, might I add who ended up being monumental flops wearing the orange and blue. Lindor is too good a player to go down that road. Bayerga was washed at the end of his career. Alomar, even though it happened overnight, Alomar, it felt like, was in the extended prime from Toronto to Baltimore to Cleveland. He came to the Mets. It was over for Robbie. It was over. I don't think we're going to have a repeat of that. It's too good. I'll keep saying that till I'm blue in the face. He's too good. If I got to take the L on that, I'll take the L on it. Still be it. Who's that?
3: JJ, it's your boy, David from Long Island. Been loving the new podcast, loving everything about it. I got, I've had some time to digest uh, the NFL draft and the start of the baseball season. We're one month in and there are two New York trades that have to happen. One is around your beloved New York Yankees. They need to go get Kyle Hendricks, and Anthony Rizzo from the Chicago Cubs, who aren't going anywhere. There's a reason they haven't extended Rizzo. Uh, he brings a lefty bat. He brings a good approach. He brings that lefty swing to the short porch in right field. How have the Yankees not done this yet? They're burning daylight. Then in the AFC East, for, your, for the Jets, they got to go get a backup quarterback, somebody who can at least mentor Zach Wilson. The Bears have two of them on their roster. Give me Dalton. Give me Fold I don't care. But the Bears aren't keeping both of them. These trades need to happen. Thanks, JJ.
1: Interesting that you tie New York and Chicago in both of the trades that you reference. From a Yankees standpoint, I would love Anthony Rizzo. I've been screaming about Anthony Rizzo for a long, long time. Lefty bat, gamer, leader. If he's available, I'm interested. Now, the Yankees love Luke Voigt. They love Luke Voigt. The only way Luke Voigt and Anthony Rizzo are playing on a team together is if Giancarlo Stanton is getting time in the outfield. And I have no reason to believe the Yankees are going to risk that. Rizzo, to me, is far more of an off-season ask than he is a midseason ask because I don't think the Yankees are trading a little It's my personal take. Even though I love Rizzo, don't see it happen. Hendricks, I'm intrigued. I'm absolutely intrigued. I think he's a really good pitcher. Slow start this year, had one or two really bad starts. He's pitching big games. He goes deep into games. He's economical. I've always been a Kyle Hendricks guy. But you got to figure out first, what are the Cubs doing in July? Because right now, they're right around 500. There's a whole lot of parity first month of the year in Major League Baseball. That's a team where they may say, let's go for it, one last ride. Or they blow it up. It may honestly depend on what they do that final two to three-week stretch going into the trade deadline. So I think it's kind of too early to tell with Chicago. Are they selling, standing pat, or dare I say buying? I think you could get Nick Foles. Great. Wilson's got to start. It's really as simple as that. Wilson has to start for the New York Jets. Point blank, case closed, hit the ground running. Let him grow, let him develop, and don't give me the comparison to Sam Darnold and say, oh, well, Sam started and ended up being an absolute nightmare. Apples and oranges comparison with the way the Jets, at least in this case, seem to be properly building around the quarterback. on the Horn.
7: JJ, it's funny how you call it Houston National Cheese. Didn't A-Rod take steroids in 2009? He had an MVP um, World Series postseason. But you know you never say anything about that. You're such a homer. Be fair. How, did the Yankees hit against the Astros when the when the Yankees were at home in 2017? So please, stop calling them cheats. I know you're a Yankee homer and all that, but please. A-Rod's a cheat, okay? I don't hear you say anything about him. So come on. Call it fair. Stop acting like a baby. Bye.
1: Well, the Yankee, Yankee homer is incredibly tough to take. Incredibly tough to take when we were killing him for the first two weeks of the year. Incredibly tough to take. Killed them for the first two weeks of the year. Did Aaron cheat? Yes. Did the Yankees not score enough in 2017? You're absolutely right. Two wrongs don't make a right. The Astros still absolutely cheated. There's no other way around it. They were a better team. Doesn't mean the Yankee fan can't have their fun. I had my fun on Tuesday. Loved every minute of it. And... I would take great satisfaction in the Yankees knocking those, cheating you-know-what, out of the playoffs. It would be extra satisfying. would taste really good. would taste like Luger's medium rare on a Friday night. Really, really good. Two to go. Who's out?
0: Hey, JJ. is your buddy Andrew from Staten Island. Um, great job with the podcast so far. Really happy for uh, everything you're doing. You're doing great, so keep it up. Uh, my question was about the Giants. Now, everyone is, is whacking waxing poetic about the job Gettleman did. I think he did a great job, too. Uh, but here's my only question. He had his uh, press conference with the media a few days ago, and he made it abundantly clear that the front office has more confidence in the offensive line than the general public does. Um, and that's all well and good, but I, I just find it puzzling that they didn't try to target an offensive lineman at all in that draft. I think the Tony pick is fine, Ojalary in the second round is a steal, but I think it would have been in their best interest to at least take a flyer on an offensive lineman late in the draft. I mean, they, they draft Brightwell, the running back from Arizona. From everything you hear, he's a home run hitter type of back, just like Barkley. He wasn't even the starter at Arizona, so it doesn't make much sense, that pick. And then they draft another corner in the sixth round when they already took a corner in the third. I mean, he's a press coverage guy, it fits Patrick Grant's system, but You know, I I just think it would have been in their best interest to at least take a flyer on an offensive lineman, considering that seems to be the one glaring need on this team. So, curious to hear your opinion on the matter. Thanks for taking the voicemail. Take care, Uh,
1: Fair point. Totally fair point, Andrew. Now, I didn't want the Giants taking a lineman in the first round. I felt the priority had to be getting more speed and becoming more of a dynamic offense. The hope is somebody like Tony is going to do that for you. I wanted the Giants to take a receiver in the first round. They could have taken an offensive lineman after Ojolari. I'm not going to roast that take. I'm not going to roast that way of thinking at all. Giants have made a lot of investments in the offensive line over the last few years. You can't say they haven't addressed it. They have. They just have done a bad job of doing so. So, you better hope guys like Hernandez, Thomas, and others are going to step up and play a lot better. I think that's what Dave Gettleman and company are banking on, and who knows? Maybe the change within the offensive line coach from last year is going to spark somebody like Thomas. We'll have to see. Last but not least, who do we got? Hey
6: JJ, it's Mo and Red Bank giving you a first time call here.
1: Uh, just wanted to those your thoughts
7: on a couple hockey things.
6: One being the new TNT and ESPN deal, how that will grow the game uh, on a national level, and, and maybe what you think NHL on TNT will look like. And they do such a great job with the NBA. And then second part would be, uh, what do you think about Dolan getting in, in the mix, really? He used to stay out of the Rangers' hockey operations, but he seems to be completely meddled um, in,
1: in this event. Um, so just your thoughts on that. Keep doing a great job at the show. Thank you. You got it, Mo. And listen, I love a little hockey being worked into the equation. And it was a big hockey week. I mean, listen, I saw... Last night, everybody was going nuts with the Ranger response to the Washington Capitals after the incident, the brouhaha from a few a few days ago, that dirty, vicious, sickening type of play on a Temi Panarin. Um, look, Ranger fans aren't going to like Dolan getting involved. I can tell you that right now. They're not going to like it. Anytime you hear James Dolan sticking his hands in a variety of different cookie jars, it's usually not a good thing. We've seen that for years with the New York Knicks. The Rangers have been a team that in many ways he stayed out of the way with. He hasn't gotten involved in day-to-day affairs. Maybe it was his doing with this statement. I have no idea. Maybe that led to the dismissals and the firings. Or maybe it was just losing to the Islanders. The idea that they were going to miss the playoffs because their crosstown rival stuck it to them a variety of different times. I don't know. Dolan being involved, though, for me, to answer your question is never a good thing. And that's what's been so great about the Knicks. He's staying the hell out of the way. Leon Rose and Worldwide West and Tibbs, they're doing their thing. Better for the Knicks. No other way around. Better for the Knicks. As far as TNT and ESPN, it's a good thing for the NHL. Listen, the NHL getting more eyeballs to the TV sets and getting more buzz on social media and just being in the conversation, put together a badass studio show that's fun to watch. Kind of, it's tough to duplicate what the inside the NBA has going for them. It's the best studio show ever. I mean, I guess aside from the old school NFL Today with Brent and Irv Cross and Jimmy the Greek and my buddy Francesa behind the scenes, like that was television at its finest. I mean, that was another lifetime ago. Inside the NBA, I'll tell people, it's the best studio show by a mile. And if we could do it perfectly, what they would do, Turner would have the studio coverage. Breen, Van Gundy, and Mark Jackson would do the games. That would be great. And by the way, if Marvin's going to retire, TNT has such an easy obvious pivot for their broadcast. So obvious. Iron Eagle and Jim Jackson. You want a kick-ass, no-nonsense, entertaining, fun, insightful broadcast? Iron Eagle, Jim Jackson. Marv, God bless him. He's been doing it forever. If he's retiring, that's your choice. I like Horlin. I like B.A. Ian's the best. I'm biased. I'm partial. I think Breen and Ian right now are the best basketball guys going. Love those guys. So I want Ian to get the gig. I get it. I'm a little biased, but I I think it's justified. I think it's deserved. Jim Jackson is awesome doing the games. And the problem that these networks run into, they get suckered in for the big name when the big name brings nothing to the table. Chris Webber is an absolute bore on those broadcasts. It's even worse than the NCAA tournament when he is completely checked out. And thank God he wasn't doing any games this year. Thank God. Jimmy Jackson comes into the game. He's knows his shit. He's fun. He's into it. What? Because he didn't have this great playing career? Who gives a crap? Who cares? If I'm learning something in the broadcast, that's good enough for me. So I don't know who runs Turner these days. Somebody making a lot more money than me, I can guarantee you that. Iron Eagle, Jim Jackson. And maybe give me 10% if that's your broadcast team for the next 20 years. That's all. You can give me a little pat on the back, give me a nice check. I'll put it towards a down payment on something in a warm weather climate. Preferably Arizona or Florida. Remember I said that. Iron Eagle, Jim Jackson. J.J. Turner, media critic. We saw that coming? We'll set the stage for the weekend. What to watch for? What's on tap? I like doing this on these Thursday podcasts because you kind of can map out your weekend. This is when I'm going to play golf. This is when I'm taking my lady out to dinner. This is when I'm going to go have a couple of drinks. Now that we can do that once again, we're going to map out the weekend and close it with an absolute bang. New York, New York. We'll come right back. So I always love to set the stage for the weekend. It's like, okay, well, what am I going to do? How do I map out time to watch what I want to watch? And Saturday, the weather is going to be miserable. So it's like, all right, I'll be able to watch the Yanks, which is great. Don't have to DVR it. The big event of the weekend, though, that I'm really looking forward to the most, more than anything, Sunday, 3.30, Knicks, Clippers. And before that, that Heat-Celtic game that's a big game as far as like playoff ramifications. And I'll be rooting like crazy for the Celtics because I don't want the Heat anywhere near the Knicks. I don't want them anywhere near the Knicks. That is a good Sunday Mother's Day doubleheader. So weird. Normally you talk about Mother's Day in the NBA, it's like a first round series or a second round series. We're talking about regular season games. So that is my marquee window. Sunday afternoon. NBA, I'll be in with. Yankees, I'm fearful of a letdown here against the Nationals. Corbin and Scherzer are going. The Yankees are not throwing coal in this series. Got to keep the winning ways and the winning vibes going. Because remember, this is kind of a sandwich series for the Yankees. Emotional series against Houston. And then you got Tampa coming up Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is. I think it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Who knows? Or it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't know. They're off. Got it right. They're off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday against Tampa. Team that knocked them out in the playoffs and a house of horrors for them down at Tropicana Field. And we are so close, folks, to having those weekends where it's NBA, NHL playoffs combined with all the baseball. That's going to get us to the end of July. And then football starts. Last year sucked. We're kind of paying it forward. I'm not going to lie. We're paying it forward a little bit. Getting some karma and some good things going our way. And for the Mets, D-backs stink. That's a team you got to go and beat, minimum two out of three. I know they're 15 and 15. That is not a good baseball team. Two out of three, minimum. That's the goal for the weekend. Before we say goodbye, from a beat perspective, he's been hot. I hope the good vibes are coming for the great Jeff Money. What's up, Money?
0: Hey, J.J., Jeff Money here with our Handicapper Picks. This is going to be for Friday, May the 7th. i only got one game for you, Money Play, we're going to take in baseball. We're going to take the Oakland Athletics minus the 135 over the Rays, Be Mania versus Hill. Mania is 5-1 team record so far this year, and as you know, the A's are fantastic versus lefty. So, again, I'm going to take the Oakland Athletics minus the 135. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go.
1: Jeff Money, we are riding together on a Friday happy hour play even though I ain't going to be happy hour at 9.40 at night on the East Coast. I'll ride with Oakland with you because I went against you with one of those Oakland-Tampa picks and I was dead wrong. I might as well ride together. And I love the fact that it went from 132 where you locked it in. Right now, it's currently at minus 145. So I will be on Oakland. That is our weekend play. I hope everybody has a badass weekend. I hope all the moms out there enjoy their Mother's Day. Mom, I love you. She's all thrilled. We got Mother's Day brunch. And then she actually gets to see me on a billboard, which is a little disturbing. I mean, that might get emotional for her. For me, I'm going to be laughing. saying, Oh, geez, did they... uh, Am I wart showing? Am I looking as good as I should be? It happens. Enjoy your weekend. We're back Sunday night with the great Iron Eagle. We go from Mike Breen to Iron Eagle. Only the heavy hitters on this podcast. JJ out. Enjoy your weekend. Great work, Saruti. Be good, everybody.